But the, the reality of where I want us to go today as, as we start to look at the model of Jesus's life is to remember what he's done for us, right? The, the reality that I am dressed in sparkling white and everything that I fall short on as we look at Jesus and I recognize how insufficient I am has been covered by his blood on the cross. And so through that lens, I want us to, to take this into our passage for today. So let's pray. God, um, thanks for this morning. Um, Thanks for waking us up with new mercies every morning. Um, Thanks that though our sins are like crimson, you've made them white as snow. Um, Not because of what we've done, because we know we are not worthy, but we know that you are. Um, And so I pray as as we look at marriage, as we look at you, as we look at your life, um, that we recognize that we can't do it and we need someone to save us from ourselves. Um, Please speak through me this morning, um, and may our hearts be opened uh, to change and to hear what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I feel very locked into this one spot, so uh, I'm going to probably move around. You might or might not lose sound with me. Um, But I don't know if any of you guys got a chance to see. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I think it was November 12th, there was an air show in Dallas, Texas. Um, and so in this air show, it was one of those kind of old World War II plane air shows, right, where there's thousands of people and they're watching these, these old planes fly over at, at really low levels. Um, and specifically, there were two planes at play in, in this accident that happened in the air show. There was a B-17 bomber, um, which is a World War II bomber, as well as a P-63 King Cobra. Um, and so during this air show, the bomber is flying in a straight line. I, I thought about actually showing you guys the video, and then in my wife's wisdom, uh, we decided that might be too traumatic. Um, but <laughs> you can see it later. But there was a, a B-17 bomber flying in a straight line. And then there was a P-63 King Cobra, which is kind of a little fighter jet, like a World War II fighter jet, that was banking to the left, probably not more than 2,000 feet um, in the air. And in that bank to the left, they collided midair, and both planes broke apart over this airfield in Dallas. And so because I fly a lot, uh, I started to look into this reality because I'm really hoping that doesn't happen to me on my next Southwest Airlines flight. Um, But I started to look at the cockpit of the P-63 King Cobra, and I hope you guys can see it here, okay? And it's it's incredible to see the amount – I feel like I'm going in and out of the sound thing. I'm sorry. It's incredible to see the amount of instruments that this pilot is looking at as he's flying his plane. And as they did an investigation into the crash, they realized that the direction that the B-17 was flying in its straight line was directly in the blind spot of what the pilot for the P-63 would have seen. So he never saw what he hit. And I think as I was thinking about that, the reality is that's true for our lives. And this is where we're gonna hone in today is there are so many things in our blind spots that as we bank to the left and as we bank to the right, we don't see what's about to hit us. Just like this pilot couldn't see what he ran into. And so today, as we hone in on the the life of Christ, my prayer is that we don't bank to the right or to the left, that we look hard at Jesus. And despite our failure, we look hard at Jesus and see what does it look like for me to run directly in that line? and not bank one way or the other. So today, if you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be in Philippians 2. Um, And in Philippians 2, we're actually going to work this text backwards. Um, So I'm not going to put all of it on the screen, but we're going to look at the life of Jesus through the model and the mission. 
right? And as Blake started to frame this out for us last week, we looked at the story of Mary and Joseph, right? And despite the circumstances that Mary and Joseph were in, right? And and Blake talked to this, the reality of the fear that Mary probably felt as a 15-year-old, most likely 15-year-old unwed woman in Israel, Right? And the dismissal or the, the, uh, the, the dismissal that Joseph felt in, in albeit being righteous, desiring to, to divorce her, right? despite all the circumstances that are at play, they were brought together because they were unified on the mission, because they saw what God had called them to, and they ran hard after that. And so today, as we think about marriage, I want us to see it missionally, right? that there is a model and there is a mission that we're running after. So if you guys can turn to Philippians 2, we're going to start in verse 5 and read through 11 and we're going to see three things that Christ or that Paul tells us that Christ models for us have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we celebrate the Advent, we celebrate Emmanuel, we celebrate God with us, and we look at the incarnation and rejoice in this pivotal moment of human history, our hope today is as we look to Jesus, we see three things in what he models here that have direct ramifications to the way that we live. And so as we look at verses six and seven, I'm going to read this to you guys again. We want to see that Jesus modeled service in a radical way who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So obviously, as we look at Christ, we see that this deep commitment to service ultimately ended up in in his service of us on the cross. But as we've been walking through Mark step by step, what we see in Jesus is that he's deeply committed to service to those that can't give anything back to him. And as we've looked through Mark, we've seen Jesus's commitment to serve those that are outside of the norms of of what would be socially acceptable at the time, right? We just looked a couple weeks ago at Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman, this Gentile woman that, that humanly speaking, shouldn't get anything from Christ. But inside of that interaction, we see his radical service of her. We see his service of those that are deemed unclean. Right? And his healing of so many that are, that are plagued with leprosy or other kinds of diseases that are outside of the confines of what's socially acceptable. And ultimately, we see Jesus' service show up in John 13. And so I want to read to you the end of the washing of the disciples' feet. And it says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash wash one another's feet. So we look at Jesus' modeling of service. The first thing that we have to come to inside of the reality of our marriage is that we are called to radical service of our spouse. We are challenged to model Christ's humble service in the way we interact with our husband or our wife. 
right? And even outside of, if you guys are not married in this room, you're called to model radical service to the community that you're in. You're called to model radical service to the church that you're a part of. You're called to model radical service to your neighbors, right? This is our call as followers of Jesus. And as we begin to look at Jesus's life, this is the first thing that Paul tells us Jesus is marked by. Secondly, in verse eight, it says, in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The second mark of Jesus's modeling is in humility. So in addition to service, Jesus was marked or identified by humility. Ultimately, again, humility on the cross, but humility in taking on the human form. And when we really wrap our minds around the incarnation, the reality of God with us, we can see the humility that comes in a God who is willing to leave heaven to come to earth to be born in, in a feeding trough, right? And the reality of Bethlehem at the time, albeit that Bethlehem was the city of David and, and the setting for the story of Ruth and Boaz, at the point of Jesus's coming, Bethlehem was this podunk town out in the middle of nowhere, right? And most historians believe that Jesus was actually born in a cave. And so as we think about radical humility, we see a God who took on human form and was humble enough to not be born as a king, but to be born in a manger, in a cave, and placed in a feeding trough. And as we think about humility in marriage, I wanted to bring you guys this. So I'm going to be a little, uh, little bit vulnerable here in, in my own stupidity inside of our marriage, right? But you see these mugs? So this mug, thanks, Lisa, for the nod. Yes, you see the mug. Okay. We used to have six of these. These were one of our wedding gifts, okay? And each mug had the name of a different city from around the world. So 12 years later, multiple kids, multiple moves, there's only one of them left. But these mugs had different names like Rome and Paris and San Francisco of different cities around the world. So I remember specifically these mugs were the cause of Abby and my first marital fight. First time ever, and you'll never guess why. But my wife is not from the US, and so one time we were riding in the car, and she's looking at the mug, and she says, isn't it so dumb how American cities are, have longer names than the cities from everywhere else in the world? Americans are so arrogant, right? Because New York and San Francisco, why can't it be Rome or Paris, right? Americans are so arrogant that we have to have longer names on everything. And, and I look, and, it, and this is dumb, right? But I looked at her, and I said, San Francisco is a Spanish word. And so that was the beginning of our first marital fight where we blew up over these mugs, right? But when we think about humility, how much of our sin, both inside of marriage and outside of marriage, is a direct root of our own pride? I have a desire to be right in everything I do. I have a desire for Abby to hear me and me to have the last word in every conversation. I have a desire to insert my wisdom and authority into all of our interactions. And ultimately, all of that is rooted in pride. And we don't just do this in marriage, we do this in relationships in general. And so as we look at Jesus and we see the second mark of what Jesus is known for, this humility, I pray that for us, we start to think through the reality of what that looks like for us inside of our marriages and inside of our relationships. We do not have to be right. And if Jesus was right, humanly speaking, he wouldn't have been born where he was born or done what he did. And in complete and total humility, ultimately, he walked to a Roman execution device on your behalf. And that's the king that we serve. Thirdly, 
And finally, in terms of the model that Jesus puts forward, it's in sacrifice. And we know where we're getting at in sacrifice, but I want us to think about one specific aspect of sacrifice. And in Romans 5, 8, it tells us, but God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What scripture makes clear to us is that we hated God. We did not want anything to do with him. And Romans goes on and tells us that none is righteous, not one. No one understands and no one seeks for God. The reality of the sacrifice of Christ is not just that he sacrificed himself on your behalf, but it's that he sacrificed himself on your behalf even while you still hated him. And so as we look at marriage, so often the person that is going to offend us and hurt us the most deeply is the person that we're married to. And we are called to offer sacrifice radically, despite the fact that they are not acting or doing what we think they should be doing or acting in the moment. And so as we look at humility and sacrifice and service, this is the model that Jesus has put forward to us, that Paul has put forward to us in Philippians as we look at the life of Christ. Now I want us to back up and look at the mission, because all of this is ultimately not for ourselves. And it has never been about us, never will be about us. It's because of the mission that God has put us on. So in verses 1 through 4 of Philippians 2, it says, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, <coughs> being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is the mission. And this is why Christ modeled this for us. And so there's five things that we're going to quickly look at as we round out our time in terms of practical application steps and what it looks like to walk this out day in and day out inside of our marriages. Number one, the first thing that Paul calls us to here is mutual encouragement. And Paul uses the word paraklesis, which Brenda, please correct my Greek because I know I'm not saying it right. But the reality is that's the same, the same root is what we see in paraclete, right? Which is the word that's used for the spirit, right? The helper, the advocate. It means to come alongside of something. And so as we look at this word and this idea of encouragement, we're called to come alongside in comfort and consolation our spouses. And because of what Christ has done for us, we're called to be marked by comfort and compassion. We're called to come alongside others in comfort and compassion. And the most tangible way we can do that is with our spouses and with our families. Marriage is the most intimate relationship that we have. And we're called to come alongside in compassion, in vulnerability, with our spouses and with our families. Secondly, and I, and I love this statement by Paul, we are called to the participation in the spirit. Our participation in the spirit and the idea that we get out of this is that the spirit is moving, right? Despite us recognizing it or not. And our call as believers is to step into what God is already doing, is to step into the direction that the spirit is already moving. This one hit hard for me this year because the most difficult aspect of this is not stepping into where the spirit is moving with me. It's stepping into where the spirit is moving with others. 
and specifically with our spouse. And so this year, most of you guys know this, Abby's in nursing school full-time. And this has been a really hard year for us with just the amount of things we have going on, right? But it's been made evident that God has called her into this. But despite my knowledge of God calling her into this, there has been many times throughout this past year that I have not stepped into participation with the Spirit in this with her, right? As I've been busy and I've been, and she's been busy and the workload's been heavy, it's caused friction and tension and stress. And I have not stepped into where the Spirit is moving in her life, and instead I've pushed back on it. And it's really easy for us to step into participation in the Spirit when it's about us. But our call is now to step into participation with the Spirit when it's about somebody else. That it's not just what God has called me to do, it's what God has called them to do, what God has called us to do. And that same thing rings true as a church community as well. You are called to step into the participation of the Spirit with those that you're around and build up the body of Christ through that. Galatians 5 tells us, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Number three is that Paul calls us to affection and sympathy. And the def definition we have for affection, which I'm not sure if there's a slide for this, but what affection, how affection is defined is it expresses metaphorically the concept and experiences of empathy, mercy, and compassion through the use of a word that literally refers to the inner parts and bowels of a human being or animal. Specifically for us men, this one is really difficult, right? And what Paul is telling us is as we model our life after, after Christ, right, not only should we feel, but our feelings should have physical ramifications, right? In our bowels, as this is described, the affection that we feel. We're called to specifically be vulnerable with our feelings, and we don't like that as men. But as we're sympathetic with others and we're showing affection specifically in our marriages, we're called to feel what our spouse is feeling. We're called to fight to feel with them and then be vulnerable with those feelings inside of it. And I think so often we're scared of that reality and what Paul calls us to is, is really contrary to what culture tells us and how men are supposed to operate specifically. We are called to feel and feel deeply that it has physical ramifications because of the affection that we're showing. And finally, where this all culminates for us this morning is in this idea of not looking to our own interests. This is hands down the hardest one because it's all of these things being wrapped up in one thing. Everything we've talked about is not looking to our own interests. And as we look to follow Jesus and we look at his life, we see something radically different. We see a man that propped up the model of not looking to his own interests. Because if he looked to his own interests, we would not be sitting here. The reality is, humanly speaking, Jesus didn't desire the cross. But because of his radical love for you, he went to the cross. Humanly speaking, we oftentimes don't desire our spouses. We don't desire our relationships. We don't desire our communities. But as we place others more important than ourselves, it changes the way we live and operate both inside of marriage and outside in life. Let's pray together. God, thanks for this morning. Um, thanks for your word. Thanks for Philippians, um, where Paul lines out for us the model of who Christ is and what it means for us. Help us to live differently um, and be marked by these things both in our marriages and in our relationships because of what you've done for us. Thanks for taking our filthy rags and washing us and dressing us in sparkling white 
because of what you did and help us to walk out that reality in marriage so that the world can see how desperately they need Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.